Hello and welcome to the Andyplex, the podcast where we talk about movies we love with creatives and also hear their artistic journeys. I'm your host, Andy Majorano, and this is episode 26, Smitten with Mitten. Horror writer and director Andy Mitten joined me for episode 25 to talk about Creepshow for its 40th anniversary. And now please enjoy his creative origin story. I am so honored to have him on the show and have become such a huge fan of his feature films that are as intelligent as they are deeply and profoundly scary. Now having seen 2016's We Go On, 2018's The Witch in the Window, and now the unreleased Harbinger, set to bow December of 2022, I clearly see his films all have an angle, a lesson, and a powerful allegory behind them. I truly could not wait for this opportunity to get under the hood of such a groundbreaking horror force in the entertainment business today. Welcome, Andy. Hey, Andy. It's nice to be here. It's nice to to, to give you another Andy. Yeah, this nice is the Andy Plex. First. It's yes. We're. I mean, that that many more Andys. Like you got to imagine, it's plexier. <laughs> That's right. It's plexier at the Andy Plex. Two Andys together. This has been a long time brewing. Thank you for zooming into my living room in Los Angeles from New York. Correct. That's right. Sleepy Hollow, New York. In fact. Ooh, Sleepy Hollow. Ooh, yeah. Like the movie. Like like the movie or around here, you have to say, like the Washington Irving story. Since like the Washington Irving here, story. Literally, the ambulance in this town has the Headless Horseman on the side. Oh, my goodness. So if you're bleeding out somewhere and they come to get you, you see that. <laughs> That's the horseman. image you see as they mm-hmm. cart you away. That's right. <laughs> um, but thank you. Thank you for having me. It's a, It's a pleasure to be here. I've been looking forward to it. Yes, myself as well. Very pumped. Here we are. And... I've known about you for some time now through a collaborator of yours and myself, uh, Richard Wallace King, who <laughs> yes. is a dear friend of mine. And he just hired me for a movie called Incoming. And we did the COVID unit, which was an adventure. It was a five-week <laughs> job. Yeah, it was uh, completely just, hey, do you want to do it? And I said yes. And it was great. And Rich, Rich is fantastic. And he's a killer producer, as you know. Oh, he's the best. He's awesome, and he's just so fun to work with, hilarious, and I miss him. And he moved to Long Beach on me a couple years ago. <laughs> That's right. But we, we still get together, and we had some epic sleepover parties over the, the pandemic and watched <laughs> 20 movies in a row, and nice. it, was, it was great. Let's hear your story. Uh, you, were born, you were born in New York? I'm from Boston originally. You're from Boston, okay. I'm a, I'm a Boston animal and thus never thought I would be living in New York. Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, you but made the uh, leap. yeah, and it's it's a little bit a little circuitous. So yeah, I grew up I grew up in Boston, and and uh, you know horror movie nerd as a kid, and then a theater nerd in high school, and then a theater nerd in in college. Where um, I moved to L.A. I was in L.A. for fourteen years. Uh, ran a oh, nonprofit wow. theater company for a little while there. Was dabbling in theater while learning post production. I did post at like the Discovery Network for a while. Um, briefly wrote for the Learning Channel, a show called Mega Machines, where I would write about uh, tree lifters and large bulldozers. Um, good times there. Awesome. And, uh, and yeah, eventually, you know, we had this theater company that, that um, uh, we were always planning to take into film. And I always wanted to combine the kind of skills I was amassing and bring it into horror specifically, which is my first love. And I just don't, I think there's nothing you can't do uh, in horror. There's nothing you, you can't explore. So it's, uh, you know, I'd be quite happy making them my whole life. But um, that became 
that whole situation became Yellow Brick Road, which was my first film. Um, I co-directed and co-written with Jesse Holland and a bunch of us who'd gone to Middlebury together. It was kind of a family of us who, who combined with the, with a new family and shot this crazy movie way up in, in New Hampshire. And, you know, super polarizing movie that went to slam dance. And um, I think the polarizing was good. Like, no one was, like, thinking of their grocery lists on the way out. Like, they either <laughs> fucking hated it or they fucking loved it. Or, you know, they appreciated we took a big swing. But uh, It got the conversation moving. It roused it, the senses. It definitely, definitely did. I thickened my skin reading the Netflix reviews of that movie back oh, when they man. had Netflix reviews. Um Yeah. But yeah, and then from there, it's been independent horror movie making with a little bit of musical theater on the side. I do still write music and lyrics for theater sometimes uh, in a totally separate environment. Oh, cool. Um, but uh, yeah, since then, we've done, I did We Go On with also with Jesse and a lot of the same team. And then my, my last two efforts have been my, my solo efforts as writer-director, which have been The Witch of the Window in 2018 and The Harbinger which is coming out this season. So exciting. Yeah, I haven't seen Yellow Brick Road, but I've seen um, I've seen the other three. And I was living with Rich King in 20, I want to say 2013. And he said he got a gig. And it was for this network called Chiller, which isn't anymore. But he told me about this project and he mentioned you and Jesse. And I got to see I got to see the cut when it was over. And I remember thinking, man, this is so cool. This is so creative. And I, what I didn't think was that I was going to be scared by it because it was about <laughs> a, a song that makes you go mad. Yes. But listen, my into, children. Listen, my children. Yeah. Yes. And uh, which was part of it was part of a, a, a pack, right? Of other. It shorts. started an anthology. We made it as a standalone, and then Schiller took it and and said, "Oh, well, you're going to." branch it out into the five senses into an anthology movie i can't believe i glossed over that considering we're going to talk creep show yes that's where i met richard we did this little anthology before we did we go on yeah great uh, yeah anthology horror anthology i well i remember watching it and just being already thinking it was so cool and so fun but it actually scared me and it really got to me and and then not not long after he screened We Go On, an early cut of it, and Jesse was there. And I got to give notes, and Rich said, you know, you want to come in? And he rented a little room at AFI where he, you know, he was studying. I think he had just finished his two-year program at AFI. And then I, I moved in with him right after he finished. And the place gotcha. was right around the corner from AFI, so I was always up in there. And people th- still think I go- went to AFI, even though I didn't. <laughs> I worked on the movies, and I went to the mixers, because it was right around the corner. It's was like, hey, you want to get some free dinner and watch yeah. a movie or whatever? But anyway, yeah, so, I, you know, it was still, it wasn't finished. There were some shots missing. There were some things missing. But I remember I had my pen in my hand, and I was prepared to write more, and it just it drew me in, and I kind of forgot to give notes pretty much i gave a couple oh, cool. i think but yeah i'm sure i'm thank you I'm sure for, they were great <laughs> i'm sure yeah. I'm sure they left an indelible mark on the film but no that's so cool to hear that it was working at that stage i remember that i was in washington dc at that time in limbo with like a pregnant wife and like two cats oh who were fighting living in a hotel <laughs> writing songs for this uh for this kids musical in this completely other world. And then I'd edit, we go on at night. Yeah. And incredible. Yeah. I see the piano in the, in the background of the, the frame. Yeah. Here. It's there. 
not not often used these days, but it's there. Just in case you want to play the scariest song ever and, and freak everybody out. That's right. Or a, or a happy song about squirrels, depending on the game. <laughs> yeah, you got to cover your bases, you know. <laughs> so, yeah, you actually answered a couple of my questions. I know when it comes to horror, people are known as horror directors or horror writers. And I don't know if people always like that or being put in a box or being put in a label. But you said how much you love horror and you're okay oh, with that. I love that, that box. Oh, you love that, that box. box. I just want to live in that box and curl up in that box. That's my box. Yeah. Okay, yeah. great. <laughs> Excellent. Because, you know, now that I've seen your third, um, I haven't seen Yellow Brick Road. I, I've got to check that one out. But you, you, you sent me a screener of, of Harbinger. And it's not out yet, so I don't want to. I don't want to say too much about it. I don't want to get in trouble or get you in trouble or anything. But like the ones before it, it well, first off, it scared the crap out of me. So good job, bravo, hats off. Thank you. I mean, it really got me. I, I remember Rich. Uh, I was talking to Rich, and I we were at work, and I, I think I had I had work the next day, and I was like, man, I should probably just go to bed. Uh, I had to be back on the, the the movie that we were doing. We were doing the COVID. And we had a, a pre-call a lot of days. We had to get there, and we had to test the crew. So we had to be there a little early. So usually if I wanted to actually get a good night's rest, I had to just, like, run home and dive into bed. You know movie hours, how it can be. Mm-hmm. But I was just so pumped to and tickled that you you shared it with me and shared the screener on Vimeo. And I watched it, and I put it on. I did it right. I put it on late at night by myself. I have a, I have a projector, and I got the surround sound, and I nice. just cranked it. And boy, I was just floored. And almost right away, I thought, I don't know if I'm going to be able to finish this movie. I don't know if I can make it. Like, I was scared, scared. Wow. Cool. Yeah. But I have a million questions. But uh, in terms of how you approach horror, it's so unique. And now, now Witch in the Window, we go on. We go on Witch in the Window. And now Harbinger are the ones that I've seen. It's always, it always has like a message or an angle and it's not just horror for horror's sake. There's so much going on. There's so much kind of allegory. And I use the word allegory way too much on my show. It's my favorite word. Love it. Bring so it. So I'm always mining for the allegory. <laughs> and it's always there in your pieces. And it's, it's, it, the characters are so strong. And it's so like, like stage play. It's, it's a couple of characters. It's usually a couple of locations. It's nothing, you know, it's not. It's it's honed in and it's dialed yeah. in and focused, and the character work is so strong. But so when the horror kicks in, it's truly just horrifying, you know. That's cool. So to hear. I just want to know, like, where do your ideas come from? What's the process? Do you do you see character first and then you put them into the world, or is it kind of the idea hook, um, and then and then the other way around, or how does it? Ha- I I think when I was young, particularly when I was writing plays. And I might include Yellow Brick Road in this a little bit. Um, its detractors will agree with me, but I was a little bit more. I've got something to say, or I've got something I wanted to explore, and then I would craft a story to sort of uh, service that. Um, mm-hmm. And I learned pretty quickly that that didn't feel right. Um, that that ultimately story had to be king, and I had to think of a story. You know, it had to be story first, otherwise I was wagging the dog, and. Trust that, like, if I built a machine of a story that 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 worked as a machine, like, and I'm the one writing it, my feelings are gonna kind of flow through this story, 
rather than the other way around the story flowing through my feelings about something. Um, and that as I write, I, I, I think of it as like carving little pathways in the story for, you know, what would be called an allegory or, or, or images that might echo, um, or find meaning in, but like, um, especially with the harbinger, I think I started with a feeling. I think I either start with a moment or a feeling and the witch mm-hmm. in the window are kind of two different examples of it with the witch in the window. I mean, that movie's known for a certain scene in the middle that involves a phone call. Um, I won't, exp- I won't spoil it, but people who Absolutely. know it, that's all they need to hear. And that was the seed of the movie, rightfully so, because I knew I didn't know how that scene was populated exactly. I didn't know the context, but I knew what the rug pull was and I knew how I wanted it to feel. And I literally built forwards and backwards from a moment I felt was like movie worthy. Mm. Um, And I think that is kind of effective. Um, But sometimes it's a feeling. Um, And with The Harbinger, it was like even before I wrote it, I was on the phone with Richard uh, talking about Jacob's Ladder, talking about the way that movie makes us feel. I love that movie. I love that movie too. I really do. Um, it's so good. And that you know what? What's really relative about what I try and do, and what that movie does better than I will probably ever do. But you have a really warm-hearted protagonist, like mm. Tim Robbins. In that movie is super warm, and he's such a this, teddy bear in that movie. He really is. It's his warmest performance, and and he's in this cold world that only gets colder and i love that friction i love putting like warm-hearted intelligent sincere individuals through like the machinations of horror and getting Mm. like a new sort of friction out of it so i think that's something i'm doing regularly as 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 a pattern at this point right to kind of help you build the groundwork and lay the lay the foundation for yeah okay you said that the moment the rug comes out because the rug really does come out and you can feel it and there's moments like that in Harbinger. Um, I I loved if I can just talk a little bit about Harbinger. I don't want to go into detail because it's not out yet. I don't want sure. yeah, yeah. to get anybody in trouble. But uh, your approach to the pandemic specifically and attacking the lockdown, not just the pandemic, but the lockdown. And it was the first thing that I've seen that actually just a, just goes right in and does the lockdown. Yeah. Which which was so cool. And I felt as if the whole collective unconscious, uh, you, you know, and the, and the dream stuff all stemmed from that as kind of your foundation of us being trapped, basically, in our own homes mm-hmm. and being stuck. Yeah, you know, I, I, thought of it, I thought of it as less, almost more, I would call it the gasoline rather than the foundation. It's sort mm. of, it's the fuel for everything. I think you could have a mythology like this that, you know, you could write a version of this movie easily enough without the setting, but it wouldn't like the fuel, the fuel would be missing. It's, it's what drives it. And I think the sort of, especially at the time I wrote it, which was, I mean, it was a fast process, right? I started writing in August of, uh, in August of 2020 and we shot it in February just wow, a few yeah. months later. That's a crazy um, turnaround. Yeah. So it was that time when we didn't know where the finish line would be. We were pre-vax. We were losing people and like the feeling of like lives being lost and in, 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 in kind of slews of no, like not being able to be honored or, you know, with anyone at the bedsides or um, it was impossible to process and it was scary. 
Um, so I was definitely fueled by that and by my own nightmares and by just wanting to make mm. a horror movie in nightmares because I just don't think Freddy Krueger has to have the mar- the market cornered. Um, I think there's more to do and like, why wouldn't you want to play in what we all have in common? This thing that we don't understand. We dream. I love we, this. All of yeah. us do it. We can't escape it. We need it to survive. We need sleep. Yeah. Um, why wouldn't you play in that sandbox all the time? No, oh, I love that. Yeah, I know the the dreamscape. Yeah, there's only been a handful of films that Freddy being really the only horror besides yours that I can I can think of. Uh, did you ever see? Was it Dreamscape '84? No, it rings a bell though. Like a like a like a uh, VHS Dennis Quaid. cover popped in, into my into my head when you said. Yeah, it. it's more like political assassinations. They're killing people in their sleep through dreams. Like if you okay. die in the dream and then. It, it it had some some frightening elements and some moments, but it didn't go pure horror. But there was a, a real rug moment for me in Harbinger when the the main character realizes that they're still dreaming and they're not out of the nightmare. And that whole moment where you're like, "Oh my God, where's the line between waking and sleep? And how do I know right. where that line is?" And the dream within a dream. Those moments, uh, I've 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 had dreams within a dream. I can't remember. It's been a while now. I I've had sleep paralysis before. It's been a long time. I've had a I couple. I was gonna of... say that went into it too. That documentary okay. specifically, the nightmare. The nightmare. That was so good. It's so good. It's a genuinely scary film. It's a genuinely scary movie. I remember. I I, I do my horror marathon starting usually around now, and I try to do a horror movie every day until Halloween. And it used to be October. Then I backed it up to September. And then in 2020, I was like, well. Spooky August, spogist for starting early, <laughs> but it was a few years ago, and I remember I had been already deep into my run, and I was I felt kind of like nothing was getting to me, and I was kind of being a little cocky about it, and then I uh, was a fan of Room Two Three Seven and The Shining, so I was aware of the director, yeah. and I kind of just went into it with guard down and the nightmare, and it got me. It was so horrifying. It got the reenactments of the, the entities in the room and everything. Yeah, I'm normally I'm normally like don't do reenactments in your documentaries, but but when yeah, and, and this was one that like that rare case uh, where it works and it feels dangerous, right? You get that feeling of like, am I now going to have this because I'm watching this movie? I know. I thought, oh my god, I'm going to have it tonight. I was convinced. That's the feeling I wanted to take into the Harbinger a little bit, just that mm. little bit of danger. Um, yeah, you know that you know, which is that was sort of the point of listening to my children too back in the day when we did that. It's just that little bit of, at the end, you feel it crossing into your world a bit, and, and you know, just puts that little doubt in the back of your mind. Yeah, no, and I like what you said about that. We all go through it. We all have to. We we have to go to sleep. Um, yeah. And when we're worried to go to sleep, then it's oh my god. Um, yeah, you look for the things we share, right? I keep there. There's because there's this aversion to working with the pandemic directly right now. And I totally get it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's We're tired it's, of it. Uh, we're sick of it. We don't want to touch it. Yeah. I mean, there's certainly like, I even think rightfully so like our, our North American distributor, like there's nothing you there's nothing in the trailer for the Harbinger that, that shows you it's a pandemic movie because they're wisely like that's all your expectations are not what this is. You know, it will hopefully deliver the goods of a horror movie, but I just think you look for the things we share and like as a planet, there's not a lot, 
you know, we have in common historically. It's rare that there's an event that touches all of us at the same time. Mm. And we end up with this shared well to tap into. And it's, uh, you know, horror gives you that cushion to look at the thing in the eye with uh, a, a playfulness and, you know, in a, in a, in a sense of, um, yeah, I'm not ready for like the serious drama about it. I don't think, but like, I'll take a horror movie. I'll take a horror. Cause it's yeah. kind of fun. Like it's kind of yeah. spooky, you know? Yeah. Let's, as long as your story first, like we're saying, I think like get right on the nerve and like, we know this community, they're ready to go there. Yeah. They can do this. Yes. <laughs> No, yeah, I, I loved it. And I'm probably going to have to have you back on after your movie releases. Uh, December was 4th? December 1st. December 1st, okay. Yeah. December 1. It's my mom's birthday. Ah, very nice. And she's that's not a horror fan. So. Yeah, that's why. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I'm going to be like, hey, mom, I got to watch this movie on your birthday. She's not a horror fan at all. <laughs> Neither is my mom, so you can imagine. Yeah. <laughs> Although uh, it was her that got me to watch uh, Alien when I was seven years old and she was, she got in a mode where she was watching a lot of horror. She showed you alien at seven years old. Nice. Well, I wasn't supposed to come down and I came into the room and <laughs> I, I came right before the, the chest burst scene. I could tell this is a formative memory. Yeah, it was formative. And then I saw it and then I, I was having stomach problems off and on. I think mostly because my diet was not good and I was eating a lot of, you know, dairy and yeah. what have you. But I was convinced that I had an alien growing inside me after I'd seen that. <laughs> and I think that was kind of the early seed of, of it was it was a little bit of a love hate because I, I was very affected by it and I would lose sleep and I would be very scared and I would be scared to go to bed and I'd sleep with the lights on. And then dad would come over and say, you know, leave the light off. It's not good to sleep with the light on. It's bad for you. But I was too scared to turn it off. And anyway, it's a whole nother can of worms. But I've always I've always had a, a, a love for it. I've done a lot of horror. And the first one I did by myself because I had just we just hit the lockdown it was 28 days later and I was like oh man it's about oh yeah it's it's about a, an outbreak and you know people don't know what's going on and so yeah horror has always been able to I like you said hitting it on the nerve and what did you say through the through the cushion of horror we can really it's a little bit of a cushion when there's yeah the scary real thing on the other side of the cushion there's there's you know just enough to so we can feel removed a little bit and still get a dash of escapism. I know that's what everyone thinks they want. So, yeah, you know, you draw them in thinking there's, you know, that's the main meal, but then you're going to get a side of, you know, truth. Yeah. Something to take <laughs> away something to, I love that a side of truth. Yeah. yeah. Something to really chew your, chew your mind, you know, chew on in your mind. And I feel that way about now uh, we go on witch in the window and harbinger that I'm scared in the moment. But then I can't stop thinking about it. And it, it opens up questions and it, it just really gets the conversation. It's smart horror. It really is. Uh, Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you guys have just been able to execute so much smart horror uh, um, and in a very contained way with not a lot of bells and whistles. Um, and it's just, it's just really, it's really great. I, I just, uh, yeah. I can't stop we couldn't have paid for the bells or the whistles if we wanted them. <laughs> Don't worry. Yeah, they get more expensive every year. They really do. Darn. But anyway, I, I really think a lot of creativity comes from not having a million trillion dollars. I would yes. say a million, but actually that's not even that much anymore. But let's go with a billion. Um, or tens of millions, you know. Yes. 
So uh, we go on. What what gave you the idea for that? So it's about a guy who puts an ad in the paper to produce results of life after death. We were we were auditioning shorts um, for Chiller, oh. uh, and, and we ended up going with Listen to My Children. But on that list was a short called We Go On that was just about a guy who puts this ad out, and it focuses just on one response. The one that that the movie ends up hinging on at the airport, um, and and just the that was similar to Witch in the Window. That was one that turned on a moment. It was like being basically like the idea of a ghost bringing you to their dead body, um, and and the idea of that ad and you know the the sort of easy hook of that ad and the reward money. Um, when we went with the other short, I just kept thinking about it and was like there's ways of growing this like there's more to do here i want to i want to know like more responses to this ad i want to go on a journey with this person so it it has a unique structure i think for that reason that it started in that way there's sort of a a short film in the middle of it and Mm. uh it it is a film where purposefully the second half feels different tonally than the first absolutely there's a, a turn that's supposed to feel like a surprise and then um, kind of an unexpected race to the finish line. So, uh, yeah, it was it, it was personal in some regards. Um, I think the idea of having a believer and a non-believer on a journey together to, you know, f- looking for proof of the afterlife was um, uh, Jesse and I always felt like we were an interesting mirror of that, like because he was kind of approaching things from like a more of a non-believer or agnostic sort of point of view, and mm. I've always been, you know, the 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 strange person who who believes in some of this stuff. Yeah, and, I was going to ask and, uh, who was who was which one. Yeah, I'm 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 the believer, and, okay. and we always liked the idea of like, what if just these two people on this, these sides of the river, you know, take one step toward each other, you know, uh, by through excuse me, I just hit my mic through going on this journey. So it, it sort of started there and, and, um, uh, it's, I, yeah, it holds it like I, I, it holds a dear spot spot in my heart. I think mostly just that central relationship. I ended up feeling, I get a lot of people saying like they never see the sort of adult man and his mother relationship. Um, in a, and I'm super close to my mom. So, uh, it was cool to sort of show that on the screen. Yeah, I do love that element. I'm super close to my mother too and using her Zoom right now so that we can uh, not be cut off at 40 minutes. That's so right. Thank you. thank you. Thank you, mom. Thank you, mom. Italian, moms. right? Is it Italian? Ita- Italian mo- yeah, my mother yeah. is 100% Italian. Oh, really? Interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, my last name is Maiorano, but uh, okay. her her last name maiden was Anone. So, okay. I'm Italian yeah, on both my mother sides. my mother's a Raffanella. Oh, wow, there you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Super Italian. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, yeah. The the Italian uh, bond is 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 rough. It's, uh, not rough. It's a uh, it's it's deep and tough and powerful. Yes. All yeah. And things. me me leaving to go to L.A. was, uh, you know, she was always like, go go for everything, attack what you want. Uh, but she she often says, you know, separation for Italians is worse than death. Uh, in some ways we talk all the time that's a very Italian thing to say it's a very Italian thing to say yeah (laughs) I know I never I was like that's pretty that's pretty intense but (laughs) I'm gonna call uh, if I was dead or not if I could call of course you know maybe if you're a believer you could there you go from beyond the veil but (laughs) yeah no I just I I love the whole idea of kind of getting 
getting what you wish for and be careful what you wish for kind of. You yeah. Know, I think that's, that's a classic, uh, but done in a really fresh way and, and we go on. And yeah, there was so much comedy and so much kind of fun. And obviously, you know, the, when the hoaxes come in and the goofy and the silliness and when, you, when it, going into the high school and when it was all set up and yeah, the, the fun there. And then, like you said, it really, there's that rug pull moment where, oh my God, you know, I, I got what I wished for, but holy crap. Now the harbinger himself brings Clark to the to the house. That's the same guy. Oh yeah, yeah, same actor. How'd you yeah. how'd you meet him? I went to college with him. I oh, went to college with him. For, yeah, and Clark Clark as well. We all we all went to school together. But he's okay. uh he's unique because he went he likes went to like France and studied at Lecoq as like a clowning, uh, physical like and not only like a physical actor an expert in in those things, but uh an expert in mask work in particular. Oh, wow. So he's been just sort of like, uh, he's sort of like the ultimate horror utility man. He does a lot of things well. Awesome. Yeah, yeah really. Jay Dunn. I should say his name. Jay Dunn. Yes, let's say his name. Jay Dunn. <laughs> yeah, something's complimenting him without saying his name. Yeah, Jay Dunn. I saw him in a commercial a couple of years ago, and I, I, I reached out to yes. Rich. I was like, oh my God, it's, I, we go on. Yes, he's got a distinct thing about him. Yeah, that's so cool. Um. Yeah, in terms of your finding your other actors and whatnot for for Witch and Harbinger, did you go through the same channels or just you know going through yeah. casting sites? Or it's a little different every time. Witch in the Window was mm-hmm. like I knew I wanted Alex Draper. He's in Yellow Brick Road, so I'd I'd worked with him, and he's a professor at Middlebury College. So he's not he doesn't get exposed nearly enough as you know his talent would demand because he's a full time teacher. Um, wow. So I was like. I want to write a movie for you and for a house. If you find me a house in Vermont, I will take a production to you and we'll, mm. we'll build a production plan out of this. Cause like Vermont's got no tax incentive, but if we get this relationship with the, the college where they can give us the house, we can take some students below the line and uh, you know, just make a, make a nice two way street out of the whole thing. And, and that's how the whole thing was born. So what's cool about that is I had not only cast Alex, but I had cast the house before I wrote the, the movie. So I wrote the movie oh, wow. knowing like where all the rooms were and like where the powerpoints of the house were, which was super valuable. Um, and then Charlie, yeah, Charlie, I found uh, that the, our child actor Charlie Tacker, who's no longer a child, is now like a like jacked dude going to Emerson College. Um, he was just like a find, you know, online. We didn't have a casting director for any of it, so we just watched reels and reels and reels. Um, and Alex brought in some friends, but for the Harbinger, it was a different process because the whole theory behind that was we got locked down and all the theaters are shuttered and all the best actors in New York who would normally be in the middle of a run on a, of a play are, are in their apartments and a lot of them want to work. So it's like, there's an opportunity here actually. And it's good for us because if we bring everyone from the same city in the same state, we're, we're taking less of a risk with everyone's health. Um, mm. so it, it kind of worked in a lot of, in a lot of regards. We shot out in Binghamton, pretty much all our actors are stage actors who, um, just, you know, up and coming, uh, Gabby beans, who's our lead was just nominated for, for a Tony for her work in, um, uh, as best actress and skin of our teeth on Broadway this past season. And I think, you know, Emily Davis and Gabby beans, I think people are going to know their names in a couple of years, uh, in our community. They already know them in New York. Um, and other than that, my casting director was the HBO show high maintenance, <laughs> because if you want to tour 
of the best actors in New York who you never see doing great, just one episode, one off work. That show is the ultimate. Oh, um, cool. It's okay. really like half of the, I think half of the cast had, had little spots in that. So I just got, I just watched the whole thing and took notes and, you know, reached out to people and made it happen. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, Emily Davis has uh, Mavis who reaches out to Monique played by Gabby beans, right? For the, yes, you got to come, you got to break quarantine and come now, you know? Yeah. Just phenomenal. Uh, yeah. Rich said that, uh, she was at the, the Tony awards. Um, yes. That's so cool. That's, that's fantastic. Yeah. I mean, uh, just excellent, excellent acting and really just good horror. You have to care. You have to care about the folks. Otherwise it, it like you said, the character in the story, and the horror stems from that. The horror is the like you said, the fuel that drives the engine. Yeah, I mean, certainly there's that. another kind of horror where it's fun to root for the bad guy and hate the population he's gonna slash or whatever. Like, I'm all for that as well. I would like to, you know, I'll try that one day maybe. But like, yeah, I think for, for what we're shooting for to work, yeah, I think the best friction comes from just building up building up the love truly, you know, amidst this dark atmosphere. And uh, I think a lot of movies spend time breaking relationships down internally in their movies, like characters fighting when they should be uniting against the thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And I, I I think when you have faith in your external conflict, you don't need to create a bunch of mini conflicts in the middle. You should be mending those things so that by the time there's a face off, that love is at its strongest and not faltering. They're unified together against the the forces of evil. Yeah, and then you'll get the best. You you you'll get the you'll get the best uh, game out of that, right? Yeah, yeah, I love that. Oh man, that's good stuff. That's great. Yeah, it was a Stephen King who we'll talk about soon in Creepshow. Uh, said, you know, the best horror comes from creating the most realistic, wonderful characters and then turning the monsters loose on them. <laughs> that's right. So yeah, the king himself. Oh man. So yeah, so Witch in the Window was was such a great story about um a father and a son and a divorced divorced parents and kind mm-hmm. of like you said the the broke a broken relationship speaking of and trying to mend that and the horror kind of coming from from that as your emotional base. Again, so scary. So powerful. Uh, when the rug, the rug pull moment, when uh, you realize the phone call, the reality has has turned. And I think that's such a powerful thing in your films when there's that hook, that moment. Like you said, the rug came out. And, yeah, you just feel it, just pins and needles. Oh, my God. Oh, and, and then there's just that switch. I don't want to go into detail because I don't want to spoil it for anybody. But uh, I, I, I was going to ask where you – kind of engineer that moment it sounds like you a lot of times you engineer that moment and then you reverse engineer around it before and after it yeah that moment's the seed in this case the very seed of the entire movie is that moment and we knew it on set like everyone knew the scene number everyone knew the day we were shooting it everyone Uh knew if we didn't get that day right you know we might as well scrap the rest of it because it just needed you know it needed to be tops um and so there was a lot of talk about it because the moment you're talking about is captured largely in one shot which was my intention, but you know, there was so much writing on that scene. We did get other angles. I did have to then cut it a few different ways to show people, you know, to kind of plead my case. And, uh, and ultimately I'm super happy that, you know, everyone had the patience 
to trust we were going to be holding tension in that one shot and, and, and let the actors do their thing, get, you know, get out of the way. Mm, that's great. Well, yeah, it's fantastic. Rich King actually got me a witch in the window poster for my apartment. And nice. It's the classic, uh, just the classic poster. Or did he get one of the foreign ones? You know, I think he said it was one of the rarer ones where it's, you can see, uh, was it Lydia? Is that her name? Mm-hmm. Yeah. See her face. And if you make the lights red, I have Phillips hue lights in my apartment. I don't know if you can see the purple over here, but uh, if you make it red, you can really, she really pops out. Nice. <laughs> and I put it, I put it behind the mirror and, you know, behind the sink in the bathroom hallway. I have one of those bathrooms where it's like the toilet and the, uh, the showers in inside and then it goes into the hallway and then you get the sink. Gotcha. So I put it right there and there's a big mirror. So when I'm brushing my teeth, I got Lydia. That makes me very happy. I got it right there. Very, I, very happy about I that. I got to say, I almost had to move it because it was too scary. <laughs> but now Lydia's like my roommate. It's all good. We're, we're, we we're should tight. do a special edition poster for Witch in the Window that is a magic eye. Yes. You know, there's oh, a, for those awesome. who don't know the movie, there's there's two instances where the screen just fills with one of those old magic eyes and it, and yeah. it for, forces you to take your best shot at, yeah. uh, at shifting your eyes so you can see what's there. Oh, I love it's, that. It's become sort of an infamous thing because it's it, it was on our set because when you're stressed, you can't do that with your eyes. And like sets are stressful, as you know. So like, forces you to calm down. Our a production designer was like, "I don't know if it's upside down. Like someone, someone has to, <laughs> is it upside down or right side up? Someone has to like make their eyes work, and like no one could do it. We needed it. Yeah, it's really funny. That's that's great. And Lydia herself is somewhat of a magic guy. Uh, she's is she there? Is she not there? Do you look at a yes. look harder? Yeah, we had had fun playing hide the ghost in in that one. It was funny because it was it felt really like a new thing to me at the moment, and then it came out right alongside uh, Haunting of Hill House, the where I think it was also playing that game at the same time on Netflix. Oh yeah, the Mike, the Mike Flanagan. Flanagan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whom I'm I'm loving his stuff. Yeah. Oh my God. I le- I mean, that's exactly sort of the dream track for me. Just like he's been just allowed to be himself in this really wonderful way. That's inspiring. Yeah, I know exactly. Exactly. Yeah, and uh, got a got a new new one coming out, and I think early October. Uh, yeah, it looks cool. Midnight looks, Club. Midnight Club, yeah, which reminds yeah. me of the uh, Are You Afraid of the Dark? Yeah, totally. You know, which was another influence. Didn't have ne- didn't have a uh, almost said Netflix. Didn't have cable coming up, so I had to go to my friend's house to watch it. But that was always like the best part was was uh, was that one. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Speaking of anthology. Well, I, I saw he's actually judging a, a horror script competition or something. So I don't know. Maybe you should uh, try your hand. Oh, really? I honestly feel like if he saw uh, any of your movies, he'd he'd be impressed. So. Um, Maybe one day we'll get yeah. to. Well, I'll connect with him. But in the in the meantime, we just root for anyone doing well in the genre, lifting it up. Yeah, definitely lifting up and, and very smart. You know, like your films. Very, oh, yeah. very smart. Not just. Uh, I mean, I love a good slasher. Don't get me wrong. You know, I'm very excited for the new Halloween. I, um, I'm pumped yeah. for. I, I, I watch. I watch it all. But uh, I, I really just love uh, the, the smart horror that you're doing, and Mike's doing as well. I just think it's so cool, and the characters are so rich, and the world's so rich. Um, Midnight Mass. I was just like, oh my god, wow. Yeah. And yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of. Uh, of Hill House, the uh, the haunting, the sixty three Robert Wise, and the novel as well, Haunting of Hill yes. House. So 
yeah, getting to see it expanded in a really fun way. At first, I was like, oh, I don't know. They tried to redo it in 99, and eh. That but, really didn't go well. Yeah, that really didn't go well. <laughs> I remember that. Yeah, me too. And even much younger, I still was like, ooh. Same. Not good. But it was an age when I liked everything. Right? Like, it was really hard to make me admit to mess it up. that I didn't like that I, what I was watching, and, and yet that time. Was was there a kind of a seminal moment where you said, I want to go, I, I want to pursue a, a career in, in film or entertainment? Was there was there a hardcore moment where you saw a play or a show? Was was there a defining moment or was it a kind of a slow burn evolution? I asked my guests, all my guests, this question. What I knew is I wanted to be a writer. I knew that since I was about four. Um, but then that he sort of evolved... Uh, over time and uh so probably in my teens i would have said i wanted to be a novelist but then i fell in love with theater and i started writing plays um and i dabbled with writing screenplays like in college but uh i think by the time i'd moved to la after college and was still doing theater but like literally even while we were doing theater we were doing we did like a night of horror theater at the stella adler uh and we we were still I don't know. That was just in our hearts. So uh, it, right. it, from that point on, it felt like I knew what I was scheming to do. I wanted, I wanted to make horror movies, but um, I had to get the playwriting thing out of my system for a while. And I'm glad. I think I learned a lot during that period of time. I think I learned a lot of lessons that I would have had to have learned, you know, in the film world if I had been spending it there, and it, and it might right. have been harder. But. Um, but it was good, and a lot of those relationships we made during that time just led directly into Yellow Brick Road and into everything else. So, it's at my in my heart that's been the seed, like as a writer, kind of before anything else. But I, it's like I don't, I can't imagine writing a novel now because I'm addicted to screenplays. Mm. I'm addicted to like the fact that it's a blueprint for other artists to fill the margins in with new ideas and how it's going to change and how it's going to grow in every phase. Like that's, that's the part I love. That's so cool. Yeah. It really is kind of a meta step. It's not the kind of final piece of yeah. it grows and everyone it's, a, it's such a community, you know, making a movie. It's such a, it's such a collaborative process. Yeah. It's the ultimate. I mean, even, you know, when I'm here as the, the writer, director, editor, composer, yet, these like the better I get and, and with every movie I make, I think the only reason I am able to get better is that I'm is through collaboration, you know, and, and the better a listener a director is the better a director is at calling all the ideas in the room in a completely egoless, you know, hopefully, you know, a calm, clear headed way, then the, the better the result is. So I sort of reject that, like, as much as I do all those things, I, I don't come into this like I'm an auteur and, I, you know, I have like, a, I'm I'm just a, a collaborator and a conductor at the center of this this orchestra of, of really amazing talents. Well, maybe coming from, from a music standpoint, too, I've given you that, that angle as well, kind of yeah. conductor. Yes. I love that. Do you, um, do you have an approach to working with actors do you, or do you just kind of crack into the, each piece in its own or? I learn who they are first. I think okay. every actor needs a different approach or, or prefers or just has another way in. Um, so I'm open to, I like kind of figuring out what they need um, and learning to, to say the right thing. Cause yeah, so much of the job is like, what, what do you say between takes two and takes three that, that, you know, make it come together. And it's a little different with every actor, but um, 
normally, you know, if they're smart, they're, they're, they, they can take it, you know, for a few takes on their own and you don't need to keep stepping in there, you know, uh, but right. Less is more I, to a degree. Sometimes. Yeah, definitely. But coming from theater, what I've needed to let go of is rehearsing. Like I think making the first movies, it was like, we need rehearsal, rehearsal, rehearsal. And I still believe that rehearsal is valuable, but I, like the way I think about it in theater is there's a moment in rehearsal that where you figure out what you're doing. There's like a magic moment, usually after everyone's learned their lines and you've had a few go throughs, something happens. Something gels. And, and all we're doing is trying to film that rehearsal and capture that moment that, that, that it happens that, cause in theater, you're just trying to recreate that magic over and over again, over and over again every, every night, night, you yeah. know, but in film, we, if, if the camera's rolling and you make sure that by take three, take four, we're getting to that spot. You know, we we've got it, and and the, and we can move on. And that's really cool. So I like, like for the Harbinger, Zoom was helpful because we could talk, um, we could understand the scene sort of musically, and uh, you know, the uh, in terms of the arcs and the ide- the ideas behind them, and and we had all the thinking part through, so that the physical part could be a surprise. We didn't, you know, the blocking could be organic to what we needed in the moment. Like the ideas could change uh, when we got on our feet and, and you, you still don't, you don't spoil the surprise of what's going to happen when we're finally in the room. So it's, it's a balancing act, but I love learning about it, you know, as I go. Oh, that's great. Yeah. I guess a lot of zoom going on at that point. Yeah. Yes, for sure. But easier to schedule rehearsals, right? The rehearsals are usually just the yeah. worst trying to get everyone in a physical room together. Oh, I have a dentist appointment time. at 11, but I could do 1130, <laughs> but you know, exactly. then when everything's locked down. So there's, there's some advantages there. That's great. Oh man. So do you do anything to kind of, uh, it's funny, Rich, Rich was showing some people the trailer for Harbinger, um, in our, uh, in our trailer, uh, a trailer the and a trailer, a uh, trailer and the trailer, the trailer. trailer. Nice. <laughs> and I noticed a lot of people had the same question. Do you guys do anything to get the actors in a scary, creepy mode? Do you do anything to kind of... Uh, so I, I don't know if you guys have anything that you do to kind of heighten the, the, the no, fear factor. No, you know, I think that like a, a quiet, focused, fertile energy, you know, as much as like you can create that is usually all they'll need. And then they'll know... I don't know. Sometimes, you know, if an actor, an actor knows themselves, hopefully by the time, you know, they're given a big responsibility on set and some of them, yeah, you'll see them walk away with their headphones on listening to whatever they want to, you know, they have in their toolbox and someone else will be trying to like the op do the opposite. Like, I don't want to think about anything. I want to have like a, like a, just a shorthand, simple conversation with someone right up until I hear action Cause then they're just dropped into the moment and their, their brain's not in the way. Like they're not tripping over their thoughts or their plans. Um, and I admire both approaches. So I think from, for our part, we just, we, we can slightly turn the dial on the, the kind of speed of the energy in the room. Like if we're going to be doing something active and maybe comic or you want it to feel a little loose, maybe the set feels a little looser that day. Um, and if it's going to be serious, maybe things are at a little bit of a hush and, you know, the crew kind of absorbs that, but more than that, I would say we, we just, you know, we we try and be as steady as we can for them. Yeah. I love that. Great. 
All right. Well, uh, can you can you give us any tease as to what's next for Andy Mitten and Co? Uh, do you have any? I know that's always the that's always the question. What's next, right? I don't know. I feel cautiously optimistic. I'm at a crossroads. Um, that we are at a crossroads. The team uh, is at a crossroads with this movie, where hopefully um, some of the relationships we're building and the inroads with distributors and people doing sales and and the people we're meeting on this process so far seem to be good partners going forward. I'm too jaded to say like. I think we're going to be doing this with them. But right. I, what I can say is I've got, I mean, I've got like six or seven screenplays that I'm psyched to shoot. They're at different budget levels. Um, and I don't six know which is going to pop up. That's yeah, incredible, I have a lot. Man. I have a and lot so of you really, you really, you're really always writing, huh? You consider yourself a writer first. I will write when we're, when we're done. I've learned to like, I was terrible when I was young. I was the classic, like, you know, whatever the saying is, the best part of writing is having written, right? Um, uh-huh. And I, I mean, I, I still relate to that, but I was always a procrastinator and then I would lump it all into little bits of time and make myself speedy and crazy and, uh, you know, do all yeah. the things we do. Drink too and much now coffee. it's like, this is how I go. This is how I stay regular is I try and I write. I'm a night owl. I write you have a routine. in the middle of the night. I have a routine. It's um, it keeps me from just pacing the floors and thinking about all the things and that I can't control, especially when I'm in like a stage like this with the Harbinger and and pre-release and a lot out of your hands. Everything about its fate. I've got like seven people reading my scripts that I'm waiting. You know, I'm so curious as to my fate, but like if I just think about it all the time, I'll go crazy. So I write. Right. And uh, that's been control. It's been good. Yeah. That's great. And I've got you know I've got Richard and I've got Clark and and um people sort of at my side even you ready to read things at early stages with my wife laura who's who's in the harbinger as well oh yeah she was fantastic speaking of zoom the, the, yeah, zoom, right. the zoom therapist i mean and those yes. were your kids right those are my kids wow yeah actually over zoom from connecticut they were not physically on set at any point but uh we just did it au naturel and yeah, I was like, oh, the Zoom looks so real. It looks so Zoomy. And Rich was like, yeah, it was a Zoom. <laughs> it's because that sort of Max Hedrum effect every now and again. Yeah. It's nice. That flicker. Um, yeah. Well, they're they're beautiful. And yeah, your wife's super talented. I mean, that was she was able to really toe the line between some of the funny moments and some of the real intense moments. Yeah. Um, yeah, she was That was a really fun day uh, on set. That whole week where we shot in the apartment, we were comfortable because we had built that set almost like it almost felt like theater because what we had was a big room with the right exterior brick walls and we built the interior walls. So we created this apartment, but it cre- it made it so there was this like backstage and, you know, we had one of the walls on wheels for one of the effect and um, it just felt like a set. But then the like the, the last week we were just out in the snow in the cold and in like the coldest dungeons of places I could ever imagine. Like, so there was this one week in the middle where we were comfortable <laughs> and, uh, other than the that, Goldie, we were not, the Goldilocks zone. Yes. Yes. The golden, the golden week. Uh, and then from there it was, yeah, it was frozen toes. There was a lot of days. No one felt their toes. Oh man. Yeah. I, I grew up in Delaware, so I, uh, I know the winners and I, 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 I ran, I ran away. I went to Miami and then I went, <laughs> then I went to New Mexico, which actually still was pretty cold in the winter. Did a couple of Westerns, got frozen, me and Rich King. We did 310 to Yuma and that was one of the, 
Oh, you were the on those shows with him. Yeah, I've heard yeah, some of those yeah. stories. I know. I have a memory of like, we were doing locations and we were, I was like, oh, we got to pour some sand over in front of the meal tent. And it was just like this ice patch in front of the meal catering tent. And I just have a memory <laughs> in the in the dark pouring sand that was immediately being swept away by the wind. And I was just like, why, why am I doing it? It's so cold. That's great. But then by midday, it was, it was, it was almost warm and you had to, it was all about layers and you had three, four jackets on in the morning at 5 a.m., 6 a.m. And then by noon, you know, you're in a t-shirt practically. <laughs> and then as the sun would go down, then you throw them back on. But yeah, the elements, uh, that's a factor for sure. You could feel the cold. You could feel the cold in Harbinger. It was the first movie I've not shot in like May or June. For some reason, the first three all were like in the comfiest time of year. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I, I still feel it. But I think we left some ghosts in Binghamton, New York as well. Some frozen ghosts. A few, a few things behind us, yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, I mean, I, I think it pays off. I really do. You can you can feel it. Um, it's it's just one of those, uh, it was, I could feel the kind of cold. I felt cold it, watching It makes no sense for the movie, right? The movies should be in like April. People don't really talk about that in the reviews because we were just like, you know what? Yeah, whatever. F it. This is, you know, this is the world we're in. Yeah, because it's supposed, it's supposed to be right when the, the lockdown started, right? Like March. Yeah, it would. It in the script it, it describes like fields of grass, and you know, and then I saw the snow, and it and as much as it didn't make sense, it was like it did for the feeling, for that Jacob's ladder, shiver we wanted, and and it was just a new look, and it was like, yeah, let's wrap our arms around it and not worry about, you know, how right it is. Yeah, no, I love that. I I didn't I didn't even think of it. Honestly, I, I think it really, it really works. It's cold. You're huddled in, locked down, and then horror ensues. <laughs> <laughs> so your your process, you work at you you write at night. Um, do you sleep ever? Yeah, I do. I have a few mornings assigned where I will get the kids up, but mostly I'm like the the cooking dinner, bath time guy in terms of the parenting. Split. You're the you're the closer. Yeah, I'm the, <laughs> it's exactly, and I will now be referring to myself as the closer. <laughs> um, and yeah, my my Elora is the is the opener for sure. So I'm sleeping from, I don't know when I'm behaving. If I get to bed by three, you know, I can sleep three to nine and be okay. Okay, about six hours. Yeah, I want to be there. I really do. I want to be there. Anyway, it, it ebbs and flows. I have this, you know, it's I have this Fitbit now, which makes okay. me feel. Uh, I don't know how I feel about admitting that I have this, but um, I've learned a lot about my sleep. And there are days it's like, yeah, I only got the five hours, but like my Fitbit tells me it was good. Those it was were the good, good kind. A like good I went five. deep, and I, yeah, like I was I was in REM for this amount of time, and now I've got like stats, so it gives me got a breakdown. You know, it gives you some some confidence when the numbers don't look as low at first. They don't look right at first glance. It's like I'm doing okay. Yeah, you're actually yeah okay. Maybe I should pick myself <laughs> up a Fitbit. Hey. You know, there you go. All right. Thank you, Andy, for sharing your journey with me. And folks, if you haven't checked out this man's work, we go on. Witch in the Window are both on Shutter, and Harbinger will be coming soon, December 1 in theaters. It's on its festival tour right now. Honestly, I can't describe to you how scary and well put together these films are. So hats off to Andy Mitten, Rich King, and co for making some of the coolest 
scariest, best horrors of the last chunk of years. If you want more Andy Mitten and you haven't checked out episode 25, The Creep Show Show, check it out because Andy and I wax poetic and deep dive into the 1982 horror comedy masterpiece, Creep Show, now 40 years old. Thank you for tuning into the Andy Plex. Love you all.